I hope you are blessed by our time of worship. And some of you I know are looking forward to the message this morning because it's the last one of my series and Pastor Stephen is up next. And so we are continuing our time together through a series that Pastor Rick, Pastor Stephen and myself have put together called the Christian Living Series. My section, I've uh, been in Colossians chapter 3, a hill to die on, a hill to die on. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, my prayer is that you will uh, be encouraged, excited, convicted, um, and challenged and fed thoroughly through our time together this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm truly excited about this last section. I, I know it's a lot. Um, I apologize in advance on how much it is. Well, actually, I, I don't apologize. Um, the more, the better, right? And so uh, the more of God's word we, we cover and dive into, um, the more encouraging it should be. It was interesting because I was having a conversation with uh, um, a neighbor down the street, and um, he was complaining that his uh, pastor's messages were 45 minutes long, and Anything more than 20, 25 minutes, he's uh, not really uh, want to be there for. And so um, I just listened and nodded my head. And, and, um, and, but I said, well, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't invite him to our church. I don't know. Uh, but maybe I should. Maybe pastor's not, not preaching too well. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I know the church that he goes to, but I'm not quite sure. Um, why 20, 25 minutes is what he's looking at. So just know that we are not slaves to the clock. Um, that's something that I, I learned very early on as a pastor, to not be a slave to time, um, that we are uh, slaves, we are uh, committed, we are followers of Christ, and we submit to his word. And so even though we are taking a larger chunk, this is the last message in my series, um, even though I could teach and preach on this several messages. Um, I hope you're encouraged this morning. I'm going to have a lot of scripture for you. Um, a lot of it is, is really close together, um, but I, I pray that you have uh, a Bible, and as most pastors that I know and respect, they love to hear the turning of the pages by the congregation, and so I will just, um, my prayer is that uh, you'd be able to get into the Word and, and uh, flip through and learn your Bible more and more as we dive into it this morning. But let me do a quick review. Um, one of the things that we've continued to look at, starting in Colossians chapter 3, um, if you can remember back, we looked at fight or flight and the things that we, we stand for or we don't stand for, things that we run away from, and kind of looking at that hill to die on and ultimately looking at Christ and the hill that he died on in Golgotha and the cross and redemption. Um, Basically, Calvary and how that has impacted us and how we view it and how we look at it. And as we do dove in to the first part of Colossians 3, uh, the first part of verse 1, the if then, and really having to address the if, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, then you have been raised. Paul is really addressing the, 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 the mindset of the Christian, and, rem, and not only that, but uh, hopefully uh, hitting home at their very soul and spirit and their hearts 
to understand these things. Why? Because of what Paul was dealing with in Colossae and the Colossians and what they were uh, bringing into the church. All the different Greeks and Gentiles and and uh, all the different ways of the, the Jews and so on and so forth, almost a melting pot to a certain extent, but understanding this, that they would continue to bring in this culture. They'd continue to bring in their old ways. They would continue to bring in the things and the patterns of their old self. And so Paul enters into this message, this, this, this chapter here into the letter of, of Colossae, to Colossae, that if you are truly saved. Then you've been raised with Christ. Then we continue on to see what Paul really wants us to address and look at in each and every one of our lives in a very, very practical and convicting way. And if you remember the next part, to seek and set. We need to seek heavenly things. We need to seek the things above. That's what we need to be chasing after. That's what we need to be committed to. Those are the hills that we need to look to die on. And how do we do that? By setting our minds on heavenly things, to seek and to set. The thing is, is that we're so used to chasing after the world. We're so used to chasing after the things that gratify the flesh. But they don't satisfy. They don't meet the commands, the desire that God has for each and every one of us. So if you are a Christian, then you have been raised with Christ as Christ has been raised, being a new creation, a new being. Therefore, you should seek and set things above. Going into the next section that we looked at last week to put off and to put on, ultimately understanding that we should have, we should have and should be, if we're not already, putting off our old self. Putting off our old self and then putting on, right, being a new creation, a new being in Christ and through Christ and Christ alone to put off and put on. What we love to do is we love to come to the foot of the cross and we stand there and we, we lay things before God. And as we lay things before him saying, you know what, I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. Here it is. Here it all right there. And then as we get up to walk away from the cross, we like to grab some of those things and walk away with them. Ultimately putting them in our pocket. It's almost as if in our right pocket is the things of our past, the things of our sinful nature that we want to continue to carry on and harbor and, and, and hide in our hearts. And then in our left hand, we put in our left pocket, Jesus, our salvation, that we think is this, this ticket, this pass to get into heaven. And that's it. The thing is, is we have not truly put off and put on we are truly not re- being a representation of the if then raised and having our minds set on and seeking the things of heaven. But if anything, we look more and more like the world, the culture around us. I don't know if you remember, but I, I started that, um, that message out with the word fan or fanatic and how we are fans or we're fanatics for certain things. But when it comes to Jesus, we're afraid to be a fanatic. We're afraid to be a fan. We're afraid to be dedicated, to have this zeal for God. Why? Because we're afraid of what others may think. We're afraid of offending people. If you haven't noticed by now, if you've been listening to any of my messages, God's word is offensive to the lost. God's word is offensive to the lost. His word tells us that. 
So they won't know me. They'll reject me. Not only that, they're going to hate me. And know what? They're going to hate you because of me. We have to understand that we live in a time to where Christ is rejected more than ever. I guess I can't say that truly because we can see in Scripture on how bad it gets and there's nothing new in the sun, but for our generation is being rejected more than we've ever seen it before. And all that tells me is Christ is needed more now than it's ever been for this generation. And so as we continue to articulate, as we continue to dive in, as we continue to sift through Paul's words and truly understand the hill that we should stand on and die on and be shouting from the mountaintops is Calvary, the gospel, is Christ. That the problem that we have in this world is a sin problem. The problem that we have in the church is a sin problem. The problem that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ is a sin problem. And something that we need to get to the very roots of. To get on our hands and knees in prayer. And to dig deep. And to address the issues from within. To put off and to put on. And so that brings us to our message this morning. We're going to be covering, I'm going to be adding verse 10. And I know we looked at verse 10 last week, but it's going to be part of the message. And and I'm just kind of combining it with verse 11. So I'll be covering it together. Um, But Colossians 10 through Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 is our our text this morning. But uh, I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop as I usually do and and, uh, you know, some of you give you a little more glimpse into my own life is how do you feel encouraged? How do you feel loved? I think if we take a survey of everyone listening or everyone within the church, we're, we're going to see a lot of different forms of encouragement, a lot of different forms of love. It's interesting. Um, my wife and I were outside the other evening and we were looking at our house and talking about some things on um, the ho- our house, yard work and stuff like that. And our neighbors come by, and some of you know who they are. I'm not going to mention who they are, but they're, they're just amazing, godly people. We are so blessed to have them as neighbors and um, just a, a wonderful, amazing family that we enjoy having next door to us. And as they, they go to drive away, they pull over and chat with us for a minute, and, and uh, they're asking what we were doing, and and uh, the husband goes, you know, whatever you do, it's going to be amazing. Whatever you do, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. And he's just saying all these things. And I'm, and I'm like, man, he doesn't know me that well yet. And so if any of you that know me, people who talk like that constantly, it, it, not that I don't love them or I don't value them. It's just those words don't mean a lot to me. It's nothing disrespectful. It's nothing uh, negative. It's just how I receive love and encouragement. And so I, I kind of stopped him in his tracks when he was done saying he was saying, and I said, you know, I go, if you keep talking like that, it's hard for me to believe the things that you say. He goes, what do you mean? I was like, you're always so encouraging. You're always saying that constantly, like there's never, never anything that 
comes across, it's not like up here, cloud nine, you know, encouraging. Like, you don't even know what we're going to do, and you're like, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. And it's like, okay. And I appreciate that. But those that know me know that that's not a lot of weight with me. That's not a lot of weight. It's hard for me to receive words of encouragement. Um, one, a majority of the time I believe that I'm just doing my job and I, shouldn't, I don't believe that we should have these special accommodations or special um, awards or whatever it may be just for, for doing what I've been called to do, to being faithful. Um, I know it's needed. I know a lot of us uh, really enjoy encouraging words um, and that's how we feel loved. But with me, it's very different. I feel encouraged. I feel loved in different ways. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and go into all these different ways of encouragement and ways of love, but um, there are people in my life, and there are people in my life that are very encouraging, and they're Barnabas-type people, and God puts them there for a reason. And why is that? Because I'm not a Barnabas-type person. Now, that doesn't mean I can't be encouraging. That doesn't mean I can't receive words of encouragement. It just means that that's not really at my strength, priority, top list, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I have a friend that I'm really close with, and he is so encouraging all the time and just so loving. And, and it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, man, you frustrate me. And he's like, why do I frustrate you? Why do I upset you? It's like, because you're encouraging all the time, Right. And that doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to me. Why? Because God uses those people to convict me to be more encouraging, more loving in those ways. Now, I don't know if this is making sense to you or not, but for me, um, my prayer is that we can see through God's word the encouragement and the love that we are to have. But it comes in many different forms. Many different forms. See, one of the things that we really make a mistake on as human beings on this earth as godly people as christians on this earth is this we love and encourage the way the world tells us to we love and encourage others the way the world tells us to this is one of the things that is wrong with our current society our current culture today why because of what all the strife that is going on if someone is loved and encouraged by you not believing a certain thing then therefore you must do that but God's word says otherwise. See, the thing is, is that we enter into uh, a time, into a culture, into a season to where things are no longer acceptable. But what do we do if those things that are no longer acceptable to a certain group of people is how God calls us to live our lives? We need to learn to encourage. We need to learn to love the way God has called us to. And it's a very uh, delicate balance. One that I'm continuing to work on, one that I'm continuing to struggle with, one that I'm continuing to pray about, one that I continue to repent over. And so I, my prayer this morning is that you would be challenged even if you're a, a super encouraging, loving person, that that comes and just flows out you naturally and you frustrate Pastor Raph, that you would be encouraged and challenged and convicted by God's word this morning. 
Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We're not going to, to be covering all the different types of love and love languages and different types of things, but we're going to see very specifically in here as Paul addresses these things. We're basically getting to other side of that coin of Paul says, this is what if you are then raised, seek, set, put off, put on, your life shouldn't look like this. It should look like this. And this is why. And this is how. Very, very practical and convicting. Before I go any further and we get into our text, let me pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time. My prayer simply this morning is that your word would stand alone. Not my opinion, not my commentary, not my thoughts, but your word. May we cling to your word. May we rely on your word. May we allow your word to pierce our hearts and our soul, and our minds. May we honor you in all that we do, and may this message be of you and no one else. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10, and we're going to end in verse 17. I know there's a whole other section there of Colossians 3. That's for another time and date. Um, But follow along as I read God's word. It says, starting in verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. So we're going to start off here in verse 10 and 11. And we see a reminder, and we're going to see this a few times. I'm going to address it and really, hopefully we can understand a little bit more. I'm going to use a, a, a story or description from last week. Um, but it, it starts off real, real quick here in verse 10. It says, and have put on. It's the same thing as if then, right? So the assumption that Paul is making here is like, okay, if you have put on the new self, what can we uh, deduce from there? That we've put off the old self. There's no having the old self and putting on the new self. It's you put off, right, the old self and you put on the new self, 
a new being, new creation. So he hits that again. He's going to hit it more and more as we go through this passage. So and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in what? In knowledge after the what? Image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We must remember, we must be reminded constantly to put on the new self. Have you? Have you truly put on the new self in and through Christ? I know we looked at that last week quite a bit. If you missed it, I encourage you to go online and watch Watch uh, last week's message, or at least listen to it. But one of the things that we see here, and we're reminded as well on how to put on the new self, is in and through Christ. But once we put on the new self, we need a renewing needs to be taken place, right? And we see that word knowledge again. Remember, head, heart, walk. Head, heart, walk. We need to be transformed. We need to be renewed. We need to put off and put on. Now, one of the things that we need to to remember here, and Paul does so very clearly, is this putting on, this renewing, is in whose sight? The Creator, God. What's the example that he gives us to to follow after, to, to, to strive towards? And that is Christ. Christ. See, the thing is, is that a lot of times we, we think that, okay, my, my spiritual side is separated from my fleshly side, right? And so then we can enter into church and talk about churchly things and dress churchly and talk and, 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 and act and do all these things churchy. And then we go out to the world and we can do whatever we want. Now, remember, we looked at last week, your body is a holy temple, right? It belongs to God. It's of God. God dwells within you. Okay. The thing is that we need to remember is it should be a reflection and imagery of Christ. And I think we fell in so many ways because I think we we continue to have this mindset that we can come look and play church on Sundays, look and play church on Wednesdays, look and play church on Fridays. Whenever you come to church, you can look and play church. But when you leave, you can do what you want. That's not putting on. That's not renewing. That's not a new creation. All that is is playing church. There's no fake it till you make it. You're not going to come before Christ and that time comes and he's like, oh, good job faking it. You did so well. You're a synthetic Christian. Welcome into heaven. It's not going to happen. The thing is, is we need to understand as believers, if we've truly put off and put on and we are renewing our mind in the image of God. And therefore, we we what we seek and we set what heavenly things. Our mind is set on heavenly things. We're seeking heavenly things. Thing is, is that we are transforming our mind with what we pour in, what we pour in, what we listen to, what we watch, what we read. Social media. And then that influences you on how you dress, how you act, how you talk, what you chase after. All forms of idols in our lives. 
And instead of dying on the hill of the gospel, dying on the hill of Calvary, we are dying on the hill of secularism, consumerism, culture. And for some reason, we think that's honoring and pleasing to God. And I know for you, some of you might think, man, Pastor Raph, this is supposed to be an encouraging message. We looked at the hard stuff before. I know. Remember, we're encouraged and loved in many different ways. One of the things we need to remember is this. And I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to hit on 10 and 11 for a little bit, and then we're going to transition, but we need to remember Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in Romans quite a bit. Uh, we'll be in Philippians. We'll be in Col- um, Ephesians. But turn me to Romans 12, and I know I've used this before, but I need to use it again here. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Why? Because I think, no, I don't think, I know that we struggle with this. Or we hear it so often, we, we essentially put it to the side, right? We become complacent when it comes to the commands of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says here, he says, I appeal to you, therefore. Right? I appeal to you, therefore. Brothers, by the mercies of God. Right? To what? to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If we, if God said, you know what, I'm done, it's over right now, how would you be presented to God? How would you be presented to God? Now, I gave the illustration last week of when I've spent many days out in the field training as an infantry soldier in the army, and we would go 30-plus days, no showers, nothing, okay? Only running water is what we would get to drink to hydrate ourselves. And we'd come home and it would be a whole new creation of a smell, right? And there's parts of our clothing that we would throw away. There's no sense in trying to save it, right? And in a sense, my desire as a soldier coming home from not showering for weeks and being just a a complete disgusting mess, right, that I... I want to get out of those old clothes. I want to cleanse myself and put on a fresh, clean of clothes. And how renewing and refreshing that is after so many days and weeks without a shower. That's how our salvation should be. And stripping off our old self, this nasty, corroded, just um, of, a, of a disgusting mess. And allowing God to cleanse us because of the blood that was shed on the cross. And then clothing ourselves, right? With his righteousness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Being that new creation. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look, you need to understand that you need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to who? To God. Not holy and acceptable to this world. Stop with the concerns of this world. Seek and set heavenly things. You need to understand that sometimes we feel that we are are essentially new beings, new creations, but all we're trying to do is in our corroded and tattered and, 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 and soiled self, we're just trying to clean little spots and we think we're okay and we never really put off those old clothes, our old self. It says here, which is your spiritual 
worship. A lot of times we feel we come here and we sing songs in church that that is that, you know, we're, we're doing such a great thing. And it is we're called to do that. We're called to rejoice. We're called to, to sing these songs and we do it out of love and and just a, a, adoration and, and, and an awe of God. Um, but a lot of times our spiritual self, our, our, our spiritual worship is anything but verse two, do not be conformed to this world. Oh, yeah, Pastor Raph, we've heard that. We know, you know, but we got to live and we got look every time I talk with anybody about not conforming to the world to, to set their minds on heavenly things, even my own self. I always hear this one word, but. But this, but that, well, and see, here's the thing. You don't see that in Scripture. There's no option. There's no like fine print clause. Well, if you're in this season, don't worry about it. Or if you're doing this, don't worry about it. There's no gray area. You're falling on one side of the line or the other. Do not be conformed to this world. But what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know how we test? Right here. This is our test. And what does this tell us? What is acceptable? What is pleasing? What is the will of God? Not social media. Not the people of this world. God's word. I wanted to remind you of that because this new man refers to our new position. And a lot of times we feel that or we say that we are a new creation, a new person, but we don't see that we have a new position, right? As children of God, being a new creation. God's purpose for us, God's purpose for this new creation is to always be growing every day. More and more each day, we are to be growing to be like Christ. It's interesting because one of the things that um, my wife and I are doing, and we're, we're, we're horrible at gardening. We, we like to think we can kill anything, right, including succulents. You didn't think that was possible, but we broke that rule. Um, and so what we do is we want things to grow better, and we want them to be healthy, and so we research and we look, and then we put better soil, and it's like, okay, I want to throw some, some accelerant on here, which is, you know, miracle grow, and we pay this money, and we do these things, and it's like, okay, And the thing is, is it's the same way we need to be doing that to our spiritual life. We don't want to die. Same thing as I don't want those plants to die, right? It's the same within us. We want our spiritual life to to grow and flourish. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing how God's desire for us as a new creation isn't, hey, yay, you came to the foot of the cross, you came to Jesus, great, X, Y, and Z, good luck. His desire for you and I is to grow continuously to be, what? More like Christ, according to his image, not the world's. Christ is our example and the rule of our lives. A lot of times it's hard for us to fathom that. And then it's even more difficult uh, for us to accept it and follow it. 
of Christ being the rule of our lives, being the master, the Lord of our lives. In verse 11, Paul reminds us all of, of these. Well, here's the thing. And I, and I have a big point that I want to make here. Okay. In verse 11, we see that Paul, that God has made everyone equal at the foot of the cross. And I know I've, I've referenced it that before. But one of the things we need to understand is that in God's eyes, in God's sight, there's equality. And that equality is saved and unsaved. That's it. That's the equality. There's no separation. Yeah, don't. I understand there's the body of Christ and there's different members of the body of Christ. We have different roles. And I understand that. But at the foot of the cross, you're either saved or unsaved. You're all equally saved or all equally unsaved. Not everybody, but those that are chosen and those that are not. And don't worry, we're going to get to that in a moment because Paul addresses it here as well. All are equal. This is true equality here. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. And Paul addresses that by saying what in verse 11? Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. doesn't matter if you're Gentile, if you're a Jew, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're free, if you're a slave, if you're cultured or uncultured. That's the, 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 the culture and uncultured. As you look into what a barbarian is and a Scythian is, barbarians are these uncultured, and, and they think of them as savages, right? Because they didn't understand the culture of the Greeks or the Roman Greco um, um, philosophies and way of life. So they were considered barbarians. And they could have just been simply other types of cultures and the way they express themselves and the way they go about and live their lives, but they were considered barbarians because they were un culture now the scythians were barbarians but they were the worst of the worst they're extreme and so it doesn't matter if you're a barbarian or scythian it doesn't matter if you are somewhat uncultured or extremely out there it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're a slave it doesn't matter if you're free it doesn't matter if you're rich it doesn't matter if you're poor at the foot of the cross you're all equal that's the thing where people are like, you need to stand for inequality. You need to stand. It's like, you know what? The only thing that I need to stand or kneel for is for Christ at the foot of the cross. Don't tell me what I am to do and not do apart from God's word. Don't assume for some reason, you know, the convictions that the Holy Spirit place in my heart. That are not of this world. They simply flow from God's word from the Holy Spirit that he's placed within me. This is equality. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all equal when we will be standing before God. But this is what Christ produces. He produces this, these types of things for us to understand why. Isn't this so good for us to, to hear this in God's word, to see it in God's word? And I know some of us might be thinking it's not that it's not that simple. 
It's not that simple. You're right. We make it complicated. Because over and over again, as I approach these conversations and I talk to people and they're like, well, this and that, it's like, we make it so complicated. God's word makes it so simple. The problem is, is we're fighting against it. Remember that fight or flight? We're fighting against it. And what are we fighting against ultimately? Our flesh. Our sin. We need to understand that it is not what you bring or have brought into the relationship with Christ. Because honestly, if you're truly saved, you cannot bring anything into that relationship. That's what a new being, a new creation is. You have to understand it's not what Christ produces in you, but what Christ produces through you. It's not just what he's producing in you, but it's also what he's going to produce through you. Thing is, is we need to continue to see how as we've laid everything at the foot of the cross, we need to not pick those things up and put them in our pocket as we walk away. But we need to leave them there and allow God to do with them as he wishes. Turn me to 2 Corinthians 5.16. 2 Corinthians 5.16. Just a little bit left in your Bibles. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. So as Christians, there should be no no Gentile, no Greek, no slave, no free, no rich, no poor, no white, no black, no yellow, no purple. There should be none of that. As Christians, we should be Christian, non-Christians. Why? Because it makes a difference on how we interact with others. Non-Christians, It's not going to be the same standard or understanding that stuff is through Scripture. And my ultimate goal is to pray for their salvation and to share the gospel with them. That's it. Christians, fellowship, right? Part of the sanctification process, learning, understanding, conviction, accountability, all these things that we've gone over. So we see here, we regard no one, what? Of the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from who? From God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our ultimate goal and understanding for those that are lost, those that are living in the flesh, is to be reconciled with God. And how did God make that possible? In and through Christ. Calvary. That's why when it comes to the lost, we need to share the gospel. When it comes to those that are Christian and they're living in sin, we need to point them what? Yeah, to the gospel, but help them identify their sin. Repentance, so ultimately they can have reconciliation 
with God. Because sin fractures our relationship with God. It taints our relationship with God. We need to learn, we need to understand, and we need to ultimately what apply to our lives what this means and what this looks like. Now let's continue to move on. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. And like some, some of us are probably getting excited. It's like, okay, we're getting to the to good stuff, right? I'm slowly flipping over that coin so we can look at the other side of it, right? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Wow. Now, we can go on, and I can combine 13 with that, but I wanted to just look at verse 12. Now, I want to, if we look here, verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones. I want to swap that. I'm going to do that a couple times during this message and say, as God's chosen, right? As God's chosen, put on. So I look, let's look at as God's chosen, um, the elect, right? The if then raised, those that have been predestined. Now, some of us may not know what predestination is, or we do, and it's something that we struggle with, or maybe we don't struggle with. I don't have time to sit here and, and uh, go over that entirely like I would really like to. I'm going to just take us to a passage um, in Romans and look at that briefly and move on. Um, but but the, the topic of predestination or God's elect, right, is is uh, we see in and throughout Scripture, um, and it's something that we cannot ignore or we cannot simply pass over. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. The topic of predestination and elect is something that I, I could probably spend five or six weeks on, um, but if you have more questions on that, please feel free to reach out, um, and I will probably preach on this in in the near future more in depth romans chapter 8 starting verse 28 there's a lot of other passages we can go to i'm just going to go to this one because i could go on for a while on this one romans chapter 8 verse 28 are we there it says and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good okay For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also what predestined. So that actually deals with a lot of arguments out there against predestination. Okay, he predestined to be conformed to what to the image of again, we see it again, his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. So it breaks it all down here for you. And those whom he called, he also justified. So justification is the hill, the cross, Calvary, salvation. Okay, we've been justified. Our debts have been paid. Okay. Whom he has also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay. And so we need to understand as we continue to look at this, God's elect, God's chosen um, and how he has plucked us out 
and resuscitated us because we were dead in our trespasses, if we remember our text in Romans earlier in Romans 8. Now, some of you may have been going over this already because I said, hey, it'd be great to, to, to look at um, some of these uh, different passages together, Romans 8, Colossians 3, Romans chapter 1. Um, and some of you I know are, but one of the things that we need to continue to look at is if then raised, right? God's elect, God's chosen, and understanding these different things. But moving on from here, understanding what? Well, you know what? Let me, let me read one more verse as I look at this. Let's, and I know it's not up there, but it's verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? I know a lot of times we see that thrown out there, but we don't um, read the passage before that. And so understanding that if we're God's chosen and God is for us and God is, is, is completing these things within us and God is, is pushing us forward and God is taking us through this process, then who can really be against us, right? And I know that may seem um, not very practical for some of us, depending on where we are and the season of life that we're in. Um, but we need to understand that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And so let me move on to the, the, the next part there in verse 12 as we, we rotated or switched as God's chosen and to put on, right? And this put on is what I mentioned before, to clothe yourselves, right? And so it's a sense of how uh, when I was in the military and taking off the old and cleansing and then putting on new clothing is the same way in our spiritual life. And as we live here on earth, as we put off our old self and put on, I know we looked at that already, but Paul again reminds us of this here, to put on, to clothe yourselves. Now, why do I mention that? Because then he goes on to say to list these things. So as God's chosen, holy, beloved people put on what? Compassionate hearts, okay? Compassionate, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. I want to break those words down just a little bit so we can understand the heart that God desires for us, okay? That God desires for us. Holy being set apart. Beloved being an esteemed love, right? A a reverence, okay? Compassionate. Um, I know some of us would think, well, compassion, right? But what does that mean? It means a a merciful, a tender heart. And so these are the things he lists right away. And Paul says, look, as a new being, a new creation, God's chosen, put on this type of a heart, a heart that is set apart a heart that has esteemed love, a reverence, right? A heart that is compassionate, that is full of mercy and tenderness. Put this on. And for someone like me, it's like, wow, that, I can't get past that. That's something that I really need to allow resonate and, and to, 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 to meditate on and to really try to soak it in because I need work on that. I think we all can. See, I think some of the times we we feel as people that if we're just kind to everybody, that what I do on the outside will ultimately then affect the inside. But a lot of times how we act on the outside is not really what's going on on the inside. 
And see, Paul hits what's in the inside right away because he already talked about the knowledge, right? The renewing, so the head, and then now he's getting at what? The heart. It's like, look, you, that, this is where that needs to be. If you've been transformed, if you renewed, if you're a new creation, new heart, right? You need to have a heart that is set apart. You need to have an esteemed heart. You need to have a compassionate, a mercy, a tender heart. This is what you need to put on. See, we can't continue to think for some reason, as long as I just say all these things, that I'm always saying encouraging things. I never say negative things. I never say bad things. I never say things that are critical or or constructive criticism. I never say any of these things that it's going to fix this. See, the thing is, is that's, that's not how it works. It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. Paul knows this. And Paul sees what's going on in the church. Hey, don't come here and play church. Then when you go back home, you're living the old ways that you used to live. You need to change your heart. The heart needs to be focused, needs to be directed on the right things. And it should be a heart that has been clothed and put on of this tenderness, this compassion that has been set apart, that is holy. The head, heart, and walk. It's all because of what? The cross. We cannot get away from the cross. So then what? So as Paul addresses this, saying, okay, as God's chosen, put this on, have this heart, then it says what? We need to put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Wow. Some of us, this comes very easy. Again, I would challenge you, is it just on the outside or is it from the inside as well? And some of us, like, we're great at that. Our, our heart is always, we have that kindness, and we're meek, and we're patient, and we have humility, and all these different things. Wow, this is, man, this is awesome. But there's a little bit more to it than that. One of the things that I've mentioned before in the past and previous messages, and, and those that um, have been around for a while know this, that I, I'm not always the easiest person to love. I'm not always the easiest person to love. And so some of us, we look at this and it's like, wow, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'm great. I do that wonderfully. But what are you surrounding yourself with? Is it others that are just like you? Because a lot of times we gravitate to those that are easy to love. We gravitate towards those that that. Uh, we enjoy, like it's an enjoyment. But is that what God calls us to? He calls us to love everyone. It's the body of Christ. We're not to separate, right? We're to be together. And then I see, I've seen this over the 17, 18 years that I've been doing ministry in a lot of churches is, you know, a lot of people, they, they gravitate to what they're comfortable with and what makes them feel warm and fuzzy. And, and anybody who kind of challenges that, they, you know, social distancing before social distancing was a thing, right? 
how do you respond in this? Because this is where Paul hits with the word patience. We're going to get into that in a moment, and we're going to look into that quite a bit more. But we need to really see that this kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, wow, wonderful, great things, amazing attributes. And we're going to see where they come from, right, and what this is getting at. But we need to understand that it's there for a reason. Because I'm sure just as the church here in, in, in Colossae, there were those that were abiding by God's law, abiding by God's rule. And, and what he had there is the new church was coming up and those that were living in ways and they were really, you know what, I need to just separate myself. I need to, I need to stand back. I need to be away from those people. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And as Paul deals with this within the church, it's v- so relevant for us today in our church, in the Western Christian church. Galatians chapter 5, okay? And a lot of you know this already. You know where I'm going. Verse 16, okay? It says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit. And I love this passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. I know it's kind of long, but it's something that I want us to, to, to get to gather and have a complete picture of. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And we went over a bunch of those different things already um, previously last week. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's trying to help us understand more and more is, look, this is how you are called to live. And yes, you need to focus on you, and you need to have these attributes within you, and we'll look at that more, but this, you're not over here. You're here. And these are the things we need to focus on. And as we focus on these things, we're going to live a life that reflects Christ. We're going to live a life that truly displays and reflects Christ. It's good stuff. It's stuff that we need to be looking at on a daily basis, but we need to look at uh, as a, a holistic view of how God is calling us to live with Christians And non-Christians. This is the true spirit. The spirit that God gives us. 
How can this not shine through? How can God's Spirit not shine through? How can these things, these fruits of the Spirit, the, 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 the stamp that, that we can see from other Christians that, wow, we can see that within their lives. And the thing is, is we, we don't have to take the whole thing, but we should see those different attributes. And some of those different ap- attributes are going to rise to the top and some are going to stay at the bottom. And, and a lot of times we like to focus on what's at the top and not what we're weak on. But see, it needs to be switched around to where, okay, I do these so well, I naturally do these. Let me kind of put these here and I'm going to naturally do those. So I'm going to focus on these things right here. And as I focus on these, I'm going to naturally be doing what I'm good at. But as I focus on these, I should be what? Continue to be transformed and renewed and to shine and to show others Christ to both believers and non-believers alike. This this love and this grace and this mercy, right? Self-control, gentleness, all these things are just... They're just so good. But we can't just lean on a couple of them or lean on half of them and say, oh, I'm good at these and this is what I'm going to run with. I'm going to run with these. We need to also look at the ones that we're not so good at and say, you know what, I need to work on these. I need to surround myself by people that, that you know, frustrate me. And that's one of the things that I've, that I've always um, communicated. And it, and I get different responses when I have interviewed at different churches over the past few years. And I've interviewed at quite a few over the past few years that I've been in ministry. And, and they're like, you know, that was typical. What is your weakness? And he's like, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I, can, I, I can encourage people, but I'm not great at it. They're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, I, I just, God hasn't made me a Barnabas, you know. And um, so I like to surround myself by people that are Barnabases. And they're like, well, why is that? And it's like, because they convict me and they challenge me. And they don't make me feel warm and fuzzy. But they challenge me. And see, the thing is, is we like to push away from the people that challenge us. We like to push away the people that make us feel uncomfortable. The thing is, is we should be clinging to those that are ultimately trying to help us be sanctified in and through Christ. We must remember this, and I, and I threw this in here as almost like a side note, but turn with me to 2 Timothy because I truly believe that some of us struggle with this and we go from one end of the spectrum to the other. 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, or some of your translations might say timidity, but of power and love and self-control. Man, it's amazing how he pieces those three together. To where, you know, you need to fan that flame of the, yeah, the gifts that you have of, of the desire that God has put within you through the Holy Spirit. But understanding that um, in and through that, we need to not be fearful. We need to not be scared. 
we need to not be ashamed. Verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed. Remember, I talked about that before, but a lot of times there's so much we, we press forward and then things that we don't like or rub us the wrong way or we're not comfortable with and we, 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 we go the other way. One of the things that we need to see and understand as God's chosen what we're standing for because he tells us we need to understand that we don't have fear, but we have power and love and self-control. We need to stand for the right things. We need to stand for the gospel. We need to stand for others' salvation, sanctification, to ultimately to cling to the cross. These are the things that we need to run after. So the fruit of the Spirit are something that we can spend a lot of time on. We will be moving on, but we need to understand that as we look at the fruits of the Spirit, we cannot just focus on the ones that we're comfortable with. But we also need to focus on the ones that we struggle with. Verse 13 and 14 and 15 in Colossians chapter 3, as we move on, the word bearing, and bearing is really connected with the word patience, right in verse 12, and it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, we see it again, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So bearing with, right, bearing with one another, this really helps us understanding of what? To endure, right? Enduring, okay? In a sense, you can say to put up with. Now, I, I struggled with that. Actually, on my notes, I had wrote putting up with, and I scribbled it out, and I studied it more and more, and I was like, you know what? I need to have that in there um, because, it, it, in a sense, we put up with people. It's like, you know, we, we, it, it, it implies that we don't care to a certain extent, and I don't want to 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 say that that's what this is saying, because it's not. But it, hopefully it, it gives you a better understanding of what bearing with is, to endure, to, to put up with, right? And so we're going to look at bearing with, that enduring, and then forgiving all, okay? Um, the, that bearing with is, is to be patient, right? To not be easily a, a offended, um, to, to, to giving uh, patience and grace, right? Whenever um, someone rubs us the wrong way or maybe there's an area that we're not strong in and, and we're kind of being pushed that direction or challenged in that area and we need to have that going back to verse 12, that patience, right? And then bearing with one another. There's a lot of hard people out there to love. 
And we need to bear with them. We need to endure them. We need to put up with them. But what what does Paul continue to say here as he looks at that enduring, right? As we endure, um, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And so one of the things that we have to continue to learn to do a better job as, to do a better job at as a church is forgiveness. Forgiveness. To forgive, to let go, to freely offer grace. And when we come to things such as this, it's, it's difficult for us because in our current culture, so many things are offensive. So many things are unacceptable, acceptable, um, and it, it's, I don't know about you, but for me, it's difficult to try to keep up with everything. And so I just have a rule of thumb that I'm not worried about being politically correct. My focus is to be godly correct or scripturally correct or biblically correct, if that makes sense. And so there will be people that offend us. There's things that people say that offend me. Um, but we need to learn as Christians on how do we process that? Why? Because we just saw before on the type of heart, right, that we're supposed to have and putting all that on and having that kindness, that humility, that meekness and that patience and then taking that and then bearing with one another. Because he's talking about the church. We need to bear with one another. We need to endure. And then we need to forgive. And that forgiveness is understanding that we need to let things go. We need to cover things with grace. We need to freely offer grace as grace has been freely offered to us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, a lot of times we like to apply these things to, to people that, that are rough around the edges or maybe hard to love or, or, or frustrate us. And, and we think that, you know, some things apply to us and other things don't apply to us and they mainly apply to other people. But we need to have this understanding of we need to forgive, There are things as believers that we come across with other believers that may rub us the wrong way, may frustrate us, may upset us. And and with me, uh, I deal with that a lot. There's a lot of small things, and and my wife holds me accountable a lot of times and brings those up and is like, why did this upset you? Why are you frustrated? Why? And it's like, uh, I need to learn to let things go. A lot of times we have a hard time of letting things go, and it goes into the heart. What am I holding on to my heart, in my heart? And I can't let go. And see, there's a lot of times there are things that we cannot let go and we really need to focus on ourselves and not other people. Because like, wow, what's going on within me? Why can't I let this go? Why can't I, I, I just, it's a petty thing. Why, why am I making a big deal out of it? One of the things we have to continue to reconcile within ourselves is in and through Christ is a lot of times that forgiveness, we have to forgive ourselves as well. We have to deal with the things within. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we don't and approach others and um, we don't have time to get in all of that. We'll look at it briefly, but 
understanding that there are things that we need to go and approach others about and talk to about, and then there's things that we need to, to deal with on our own. And we need to process and see what's going on within us. The thing is, we need to not harbor them, right? And that's what verse 31 deals with, with that bitterness, that wrath, that anger, that clamor, that slander. We need to put all of those away, right? We need to put all those away. It's not, it's not easy. It'll be tough. And the thing is, a lot of times we're like, there he goes. That person did it again. That person did it again. How many times am I going to have to forgive this, this guy? How many times am I going to have to do this? How many times? Um, what does Matthew 18 tell us? 70 times 7. Jesus is teaching. They come and ask him, like, well, how many times do we need to forgive? He's like, you need to forgive your brother. And ultimately he's saying, look, as a brother or sister in Christ, you just continue to forgive them. And if you have, you have trouble with that, it's something you need to deal with inside. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be living in habitual sin or to put people off or to not deal with issues. Like I said, those are things that you need to reconcile within you through the God's word, through Christ, and being able to discern the things that are stuff you're dealing with versus what you need to go and confront someone else on that has a, um, you have a grievance against or are living in sin. But Matthew 18 gives us some help in that area. But we must ultimately learn to overlook, to let go, and to forgive. We need to learn how to overlook, to let go, to love, and forgive. And that's that next point that I really want us to look at and how we do this. Because ultimately, we need to see what is ruling in our hearts. What is ruling in our hearts. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So love is the binding factor, right? Because if someone offends me and I love them, how I react and respond and deal with them is going to be different versus someone how I don't love. And this is why it's so important that the church is always coming together and, and we are a family and we have a love for one another. And we allow that love to bind us together. And why is that love bind us together? Because it's our love for Christ that ultimately is our love for one another. Because if we don't truly love Christ, then we can't truly love each other. This is why I always tell young adults, like, look, learn how to love God first before you think you can go and love someone else. Because a lot of times we're still trying to figure out how to love God. What makes you think that we can love someone else in the right biblical way if we, we haven't even figured out how we are to fully love God? Love binds us together. And this is something we need to put on and that it's only according to God's word. It's only according to God's word that we can do this. The good, the bad, the ugly, basically it brings harmony to our lives. This love brings harmony to our lives. As we continue to look at this in verse 14 and moving on to verse 15, we're going to hit a verse that I don't think I put up on the, the board for you. It says, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace. 
Now, this may be something that a lot of us struggle with, especially if you struggle with depression or anger and these types of things. Um, Having peace in your heart is difficult. And a lot of times we think for some reason if we can fix our surroundings, uh, we can fix what's inside of us. God's word tells us it doesn't matter what your surroundings are. The peace and love should come from within. Going back to to what? Verse 12. Verse 13. Verse 14. We need to see what brings harmony to our lives that leads us to peace in Christ. Turn me to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 9. says, let love be genuine. So whenever, before you judge me on my introduction this morning on my discussion with my neighbor, right? Um, These are the types of things I really cling to are let your love, let it be genuine. There, There are certain people that I look to that are super encouraging, super loving all the time. They'll never say anything critical, never anything negative. And those are the people I look for for correction, for criticism. Why? Because I know if they're saying it, it's truthful, it's honest, it has weight to it, okay? Now, I know I'm, I'm telling you my secrets, right? But then there are those that are super critical, right? And, and analyzing and have high standards and all that, those are the ones that I kind of look for encouragement. Why? Because I, it has a lot of weight to me. Now, internally, this is always what's kind of going on. Why? Because to me, I know it's genuine. And that's just me. It's not everyone. You might relate to that or not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. Um, but it's genuine. And that's what I look for. I look for authenticity. I look for things that are, are real. Right. And that's why a lot of people's description of of myself is what you see is what you get. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. That's that zeal we talked about of what a fan, a fanatic is. Right. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Wow. Love this part here. But as a genuine love, right? And it says, outdo one another in showing honor. If anything should be competitive, it should be how we uh, lift each other up, right? A lot of times we are so focused on ourselves, we miss it. And at the end of that, it talks about hospitality, and that's another 
area that we can all do better on. And a lot of times when we, we look at these and I'm teaching on things, and, and I know a lot of us are, well, but, but COVID, but COVID, but this. And I'm like, but God. But God. If diseases, pandemics, whatever you want to call it, was a determining uh, factor or deterrent to spreading the gospel, missionaries would all come home and not exist. So many people then, uh, even now, is they always saying, oh, our, where you live is your mission field. Where you live is your mission field. But now we're afraid to go out of our homes. To me, it's no different. Yeah, I want to be respectful. I don't want to get others sick or whatever it may be, but that will not deter me from living out what God's commands are on my life and sharing the gospel, living in fellowship, living with believers, being the body of Christ. Turn me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Don't worry, we have plenty more to cover. Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, should be something that is a conviction to all, right? Again, I talked about, you know, tattoos and things like that in the past. And I was like, you know, this is probably something that I, I could put on, on myself and look at it on my arm or wherever, just so it's for me to see, not for anyone else to see. And just, you know, it's about, wow, I need to walk in a manner worthy to be called a son of God. Do we grasp the magnitude of that verse? To walk in a manner worthy Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. We see it again, bearing patience, bearing with one another, what? In love. Now here's the action. Eager, what? To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of we look at that a little bit more later, but that, that unity with one another, right? That we need to stay together. We need to allow, allow these things to separate us. Thing is, is we're clinging so much to this world, right? We're clinging to it. We're clinging to it. We're clinging to it. And we continue to, to make up uh, excuses or we continue to water down things. It's like, well, we don't really have to gather. We don't, it's not necessary. We cannot look at God's word and think it's not necessary to live out scripture. It's necessary for us to live out the commands constantly. These are the convictions that we should have that should be within us, that should dwell within us, and that should be ultimately what? Just eager for us to live them out. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in what? The bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that what? That belongs to your call. Next verse. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
form of unity and understanding what this means for this to to ultimately come and just, man, it not only live within us, but it should be shining through us. This love, this peace, this bond, this unity. The, and it all comes back to what? this? I keep going back to this one word, this eagerness. Are we eager to hear God's word? Are we eager to, to read God's word? Are we eager to be in prayer? Are we eager to be in fellowship? Are we eager to continue to, to keep together that bond of peace? Are we eager to be one? One body, one mind, one faith, one spirit. Are we eager? And as in uh, this verse at the end of 15, are we eager to be thankful? To be thankful. He says there, and be thankful. Show gratitude, be grateful, enduring, forgiving, love, peace, one body. You know what, God, I'm thankful for that person who challenges me. You know what, God, I'm thankful for that person who's encouraging to me. Lord God, I'm thankful for the person who cleans up after me. Lord God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. As we look at all this, we need to understand, do we have this eagerness within us to truly, truly have a transforming and renewing of our mind, ultimately to, to change the desires and passions and what we seek and what we chase and what we run after, that new heart, new creation, new being, to ultimately live it out in eagerness, being thankful. I don't know about you, but I can, be, I can do a much better job at being thankful. I, can do an, I know I can do a much better job of being eager. Like I said in the beginning, this, this passage, this message, like I've been, I was excited about it and excited about it. And, and, and even as I wrote it and studied it, I was as excited about it. And, and, and on, a lot of times I write little side notes and things that I don't even mention when I preach. And, and on the side of almost every page of my notes is like, so good. It says the words, two words, so good. It's so good. This is so good. And do we look at God's word that way? That it's so good. I don't know. That might be too convicting for us to sit on too much longer. So let's move on to verse 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right away, we see, as Paul, in my opinion, summarizes this verses 1 through 17 before he transitions into his, his kind of next subject, um, here in Colossians 3 by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I can't help 
but take that word dwell and look at it and it's, and it's it may God's word take up a residence within you. And it should be a reminder of John 15 of, of abide and Jesus saying, I abide in you as you abide in me. And that word abide means to take up residence. As God takes up residence within our heart, we, we are taking up residence within him and his word should take up residence within us and live within us and dwell. It should dwell in us richly, pure, thick, abundantly God's word overflowing this is how we are to live this is how we are to interact I I I don't like entering into conversations with with believers without referencing this I mean there's some people that I have little asterisks on, before you call me, you need to spend this time in God's word. Then you can call me. Before you message me, spend this time in God's word. Then you can message me. Why? Because I need to be in God's word. We need to be in prayer. And before he lists these other things, he he makes a very particular note here about the word and it dwelling in us richly. But then he says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and renewing, basically to admonish. And the word admonish means to warn, to caution, to point out dangers. This is why we need God's word. And that's why some of, so many of us think we're living a righteous, godly life, but all we're doing is we're, we're continuing to go astray because we're, we're putting within us more of the world than of God. And it's not a balance. There's no such thing as having a healthy balance of the world and, and, and God. You need to throw the world out, and it's, it's God. It's spiritual. It's where you are as a believer on the path, on the spiritual path that God has you on. And they're continuing to press down that path. God's word tells us of those warnings, those cautions, the things that we should avoid, we should not be a part of. And Paul went through all of that. And that's why he lists that word here. Basically, for what? For one another. And see, we, we can't overlook that. It's the word of Christ tells us richly teaching and admonishing one another. How are we teaching each other? How are we warning one another? How are we saying, hey, that, that thing that you've introduced into your life, I, God's word talks about that. Let's look at it. I can remember years ago when I preached messages on it, I was invited to schools to actually teach on this particular thing because it, it became so popular. It's like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. As Christians, we need to be making these judgments. Not in a critical way. Remember, we need to put on that heart, right? That heart that God calls us to have. That meekness, that love, that peace. But we need to admonish one another. With what? With his word. That's why we see that right before. We Let's go. I'm not going to go on my notes anymore. Let's go to, it's going to be up here. Second Timothy chapter 3. I think I'm going to hit the point too much and then take you to second timothy and then it's going to be 
um, repetitive, even though it, it should be. But let's let's go there. Second Timothy three sixteen, and a lot of us know this, and I'm gonna. Okay, all scripture. Okay, all scripture. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Do we get that? Do we see it? The scriptures, the holy scriptures are to, to be teaching one another to reproof, to rebuke, to correct. Are we doing it? Are we doing it? We just love hanging out. We just love having meals together. As Christians, we need to love each other so much that there's a reconciliation that we desire to have with God and for others to have with God, believers and non-believers alike. This is the love that God calls us to have. This is what God wants us and desires for us to live our lives because as we do this and we have a heart and mind for unity and for uh, uh, um something that is profitable for one another and for our spiritual walk and sanctification, we know that we have each other's best interest at heart. But see, here's the thing. We don't trust. We're fear, we have a fear of being hurt, rejected. We have a fear of, That someone might think we don't love them when we really do. And this is one of the areas that I make a point of in my own life. That some people might think, well, you know, Pastor Raph doesn't really care. There's not compassion or love there. But when you have a conversation with me one-on-one, we talk about these things. Hopefully I see, hopefully you will see that I do it because I love you. Because that's the convictions that God has laid on my heart. And he says, these are profitable for us. His word is profitable for us to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to train. Why? Ultimately to equip you to do God's work. To do God's work. Nowhere does it say God's word is there. To lift you up and feel warm and fuzzy. To make you love yourself more. To be a better you now. Any of these things. It's to what? Ultimately give you what? To seek and set the things above. Heavenly things. To do the work of God. Right? profitable why how in wisdom the scripture tells us and that allows us as paul has gives descriptions or experiences or testimonies in his own life that wisdom to take god's word and say wow this is this is how god's word is applied this is what it looks like applied and a lot of times we don't get to that point. We get into God's word and it's like, oh, wow, I learned something new. But did we have a renewing of the mind? 
Or we might have this, you know, a quiver in our liver and we, we feel a certain way about something that we read or we heard, and, but it didn't really renew our heart. And how do I know that? Because there's no action. There's a transforming and renewing that needs to take place. So therefore, we can what? Live it out to show and have a head heart walk to show the fruit being produced in our spiritual lives day in and day out. This, this is what Paul is getting at. And he says, through this, right? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Man, this, this, this love, right? This, this um, admonishing, this knowledge, this renewing, this, is, this all should be praised. Singing, rejoicing with thankfulness. I, I remember, um, and this is a story that shows that I'm not perfect. I know some of you think I'm perfect and I'm, you know, without sin. Um, and I always tell you, you know, spend five minutes with my wife and you'll see how human I really am. Um, and so for some of you that have that perception of me, um, I remember we were coming home one day and I, I think it, I don't know if it was from San Jose or whatever, but we were coming down a back stretch towards, um, Los Banos and, and I, I got pulled over and, uh, young cop pulls me over and, um, this guy, you know, usually there, there's no discussion. There's no nothing. And he just comes up and up, oh, you know, I'm giving you a ticket essentially. I'm like, okay, give him my stuff. It sucks. Um, my kids got scared, but then they thought it was funny. And, uh, um, you know, daddy's not perfect. And so daddy was speeding and I was coming down a hill. And so, I can blame it on the hill, but, you know, I was speeding. Um, And when he was done, I told him how much I appreciated him, and I shook his hand. And so then he stopped, and he started to have a discussion with me. He goes, why would you do that? Like, no one has ever shaken my hand and told me, thank you for giving them a ticket. And I said, I understand that you, I told him that I understand his job and the necessity of it that a lot of people drive recklessly and he, in his mind, he's saving lives. He's saving lives. And he's seen probably a lot of bad accidents, um, being a, a CHP officer. And, you know, I appreciate what he's doing. In the same way, we need to understand what the scriptures tell us when people rebuke us and admonish us and warn us of the dangers of sin. They're just trying to save our lives. And Paul's saying we need to rejoice over that. We need to have a heart that is thankful, a spirit of love and understanding. And so many times again, we don't understand, we don't look at it that way, and we take it as an attack or something negative. If anything, those are the people we should surround ourselves with that have a heart of love and grace and mercy and compassion, but will admonish us, rebuke us, correct us, 
and train us up. Because if we don't desire those things, then ultimately we're saying, I don't care about doing the work of Christ. I don't care about doing the work of God. Because those are the things that the Scriptures tell us what Scripture is for, so that we can do the work of God. I'm not. I'm going to reference it. Um, it's going to be on the TV, but for time's sake, I'm going to reference Second Corinthians five nine, verses nineteen through twenty-one. It talks about the spirit of reconciliation. In verses 15, 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about how God's love should control us. But ultimately, again, looking at that passage, just having an understanding that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. We need to be ambassadors. And what that means is you're a representation here, here in this foreign land for God. We are I said we are, but I should be saying we should be a representation here. We should be that ambassador, that, that, that here on behalf of God. And as we, we look at concluding this in verses 16 and 17, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. You I don't know about you, but with me, I can't help but reading this and getting excited in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything you do, an ambassador, a representation, everything you do. Well, God doesn't care if I'm in my pajamas, eating a donut in bed, watching. I don't know know if, if... what that means to you or not, but is it a representation of the attitude of your heart? I don't know. Well, God doesn't care if I do this or that. How do you know? How do you know if you're not being admonished? How do you know if you're not being rebuked? How do you know if you're not being corrected by those who can see the blind spots in your life? Ultimately, what? We should be rejoicing for those people, rejoicing for the fact that we need to look at God's word and everything we do as Christians, should be viewed in the point of, I'm a representation of Christ. I'm a representation of Christ. Because there's too many Christians that are a poor testimony. And at times, myself included, I'm a poor testimony. When I, when I sin and I lose my cool or I get upset when I shouldn't or I get angry or I talk to my children, and I, I did it this week. I had to go apologize to my daughter for talking to her in a way that I shouldn't have. And to me, it was fine, and my wife pointed it out. And so I stopped what I was doing, and I went and talked to her. We have to understand that the desire of our heart should be to praise God. And that praising God is transforming and renewing of our heart and understanding of transforming and renewing of our mind to be that living sacrifice, that act of worship, understanding the head, the heart, and the walk. We must be ambassadors for Christ according to his word and not according to your world. And a lot of times we take God's word and we say, how can I apply this to my world? Instead of taking our life 
and saying, how can I, what, apply God's word to my life? Which should be what? A reflection of Christ. I'm going to close with this passage, Philippians chapter 2. And I know I say this a lot. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Just so you know, you can have a lot of favorite passages in Scripture. The more you have, the better. It means you're in the Word more. I don't know. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Just pay attention to the words. Just listen. I mean, my this part of my Bible is so marked up. I have a hard time reading it sometimes because I've marked it up so much. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's desire to confront and to continue to address these issues is so that the the church that the congregation, that the people, that the followers of Christ would shine. And that's my desire for each and every one of you, is to shine. Not to make sure I'm one of your Facebook friends or on social media or I'm always the first person you think of or all these different things. It's that you shine. You honor God with your lives that you're an ambassador for Christ. And so to summarize, to remember that if you've been raised, right, if you are truly saved, then you've been raised with Christ, right? Been raised. Seek and set heavenly things. Seek and set heavenly things. Put off and put on. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Love and forgive. Bear fruit and rejoice. Love and forgive. Bear fruit and rejoice. And shine. Don't be afraid. Shine. Understand what God's word commands you to do. And understand what Colossians 3, what Paul has been teaching us over these past few weeks. Because I, I truly believe, if, as believers, if we can just take 
one passage at a time and just focus on it and live it out, man, it would really change the world. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. I know we've spent a lot of time in your word and my prayer that is that it's been honoring to you. Lord, no matter where anybody is right now that is listening, may we see the importance of your word. That there are so many hills out there for us to to choose to die on, to stand on. But the only one that we should really, really focus on, to really care about, to really hold on tight for dear life is the gospel. That we live in a fallen world. And the issue that we need to to address is sin. Sin within ourselves. Sin within the world. And we can only do this in and through Christ. Thank you for loving us and being with us on this journey and convicting us to be more like your son each day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.